Well, we are especially excited uh, for today's episode. This is going to be incredible. I've been looking forward to this one. You know, we enjoy all of our episodes, but this one has been on our wish list because we have an individual today who has no shortage of responsibility in his role and no shortage of possibilities in the impact he can make on healthcare in this country. And so today we're going to be joined by the CEO of Trinity Health, Mike Slabowski. Mike, great to have you with us. Great to be with you both today and your audience. Well, we're excited. I think this audience is going to hear uh, a lot of really interesting things from uh, a person in your position. And I've had the pleasure of meeting Mike over the years, of working with him in a couple previous iterations and getting to know him over a decade now. Um, in that process, it has been incredible to watch him and the journey that he's taken to Trinity Health. Now, I will say one thing about Mike, you know, we, we try not to read the official bios. People have Google, they can find that information. But I certainly like to note that this was the first CEO that I can remember that I did not have to explain a thing about how branding worked. That was just incredible because most CEOs at their position, you know, branding something, consumers and something that sits below them. And Mike was very tuned into that. And what's incredible is the position he's in now, Brian. So let me read out a couple numbers for you on Trinity Health. 18.8 billion, 18.8 billion in revenue, uh, 92 hospitals, 18 clinically integrated networks, 13 pay center programs, and 100 continuing care locations. And maybe the most impressive part, which ties into what we try to do in this podcast, is 1.5 million attributed lives that are in some way, shape, or form being touched in a care setting by Trinity Health. So there's an incredible impact, and there's a person at the helm of all of that, and that is our guest today. So I want to start this out. I know that, Mike, you, in, in addition to all the responsibilities you have, I gave you one more last year, and that was to read the newest book, Patient No Longer, which we can at least, for our video friends, can affirm that Mike has the copy in hand. And I was just curious, as you're reading through that and thinking about the work that you're doing at Trinity Health, how are you feeling in 2021 about the state of healthcare and about where it's going? So um, it's a great question. And, you know, I feel like we're with respect to the customer, the patient, the member, whatever you want to, whatever name you want to attribute in our journey as health systems, I still feel like we're at the Bowie knives and bearskin stage. Okay, you know, as much as we always talk about being patient centric, we are still very provider centric. And as much as we talk about connected care, our care is still very disjointed. And, you know, we're making progress on pieces that are that are meaningful, but we have just miles to go before we sleep, to quote Robert Frost. Um, just so much work to do and so much opportunity, but it does, it does make my head hurt sometimes as to how far we have to go. I, I like the way you said that, Bowie knives and bearskins. I think there's going to be a few quotes that I remember from this episode, and I think about it from your perspective. Now, you talked about members and consumers and this idea around people being beyond patients. That was obviously a big part of our book, was the idea of patient no longer, that we've got to be thinking about people as a person behind the patient and why that's so important. Tell me a little bit about your journey because you're our interviewee today. It's not just about Trinity Health, but you know, you, you were in Michigan, you were in Colorado, you came back. How have you seen that evolve? I know we've got a long way to go, but how have you seen things evolve now outside of just 
patient-centeredness as it was a while back? Yeah. Well, um, I think, first of all, you know, you and I talked about this 12 years ago, you know, that I, every time people would use the word patient, you know, I'd remind them if they look it up in the dictionary, it says to wait. You know, it's a very passive term. I mean, it's something that caregivers embrace, but and they don't want to give it up. But the reality is that, you know, we need to focus on people and treat them like members of the Trinity Health family. And so when I came back to Trinity, the idea was doesn't matter what kind of health plan you're in or coverage or no coverage. How do we wrap ourselves around you so that you feel like you're a member of our of our ministry? Because, you know, any of us, when we're a member of something, there's a higher set of expectations that we have and a higher level of a relationship that we have with people. And that's really the direction that we want to go with our new strategic plan, which is called Together Health 2023. So the most important thing out of the gate was to declare, you know, what is our Trinity Health promise or our brand promise? And it really is a three component promise. It's we listen, we partner in achieving health goals, and we make it easy. And the short form of that, when we talk to our colleagues is, we listen, we partner, we make it easy. It's really sticking in the organization. And, you know, our care is about body, mind, and spirit. And we keep speaking to those three dimensions as, as we do it. Now, we know that aspiration about we listen, we partner, and we make it easy. The hardest part is that we make it easy. I mean, we have a long way to go to try to get there. But unless you establish a, a big aspiration and you identify the areas where you can connect things to you know, make that relationship real and to make it easier for people, really, really important. Mike, you just said three words that, that we don't hear that often from our guests. And, I, and I'll say them back. Um, member, in, not in the context of being a health plan member, but being a member of the family, second word. And then partner, when you just, when you just said listen, partner, and make it easy. So words matter. And the way that the, the, the top of an organization, the, the leader of an organization is, is speaking and using those words, I have to think that, that those are very meaningful to your associates. And I, I believe you have, I think it's some, a massive number, 100, 125,000 uh, employees of Trinity. Is that right? Colleagues, colleagues. Yep, yeah, my apologies. And, there, and, and that would maybe be a fourth in terms of uh, atypical words that are that are being used, and I think these are these are all these are warm words. I, they they they're welcoming. Um, when we look look at something incredibly complex like healthcare delivery, and and all the things that that are requisite in terms of creating a warm, welcoming, partnering environment, you know that that clearly has to start with those one hundred twenty five thousand colleagues. So. We talk about loyalty a lot from the consumer perspective and what you need to do to earn loyalty and how you should engage. Maybe talk a little bit about that. I, you know, you, you sound really tuned into this. I mean, we know you are. Um, how do you how do you engage to foster lifelong loyalty among those uh, colleagues? Sure. Well, you know, colleague. When we talk about members, we always say our colleagues, our our caregivers, and in physicians, basically who aren't fully integrated as well as our fully integrated and then the people in our communities. So our, our, our colleagues are members too. 
And, you know, the reality is for our colleagues and their families, you know, we're self-insured for all of their care. So, you know, their medical care besides, you know, the engagement with them in their lives as they do work for our ministry. So we're, we're doing a lot of work to engage with, uh, with our colleagues and including, you know, not just smile training, but how do we empower people to make improvements every day in the care experience without waiting to be asked or having to be told? And, you know, that we have a thing called the Trinity Health Leadership System, which, you know, is sort of thinking about how, you know, we use, we use lean on steroids, basically. It's more less about the process of lean and more about how you engage colleagues and empower them every day to make changes, to speak up, to help us with connecting care. The other thing, you know, the other reality is besides our colleagues, when you include their families, we have an automatic group of people that are mystery shoppers. And, you know, they all have experiences with our care delivery system. And it's it's often, it's so interesting to me that sometimes it's almost like we, there are two different dimensions. You know, people work for us and with us, and then they talk about these experiences, often negative, that they or their families have with our own health system as if it's sort of a, a different object. And what we're, what we're doing is we're, try, we're connecting those two pieces and saying, hey, you are the people that can help us change this. You know, your feedback on things that don't connect is, is so valuable. You know, I had a colleague reach out to me the other day about one of our vaccination centers and what they saw happening with some folks that came in without an appointment and weren't on our portal yet. And we didn't handle them very well in terms of that experience. And they shared that with us. And we got that immediately back to the folks, you know, who are running that operation to make changes in the operation and to also reach out to some of those folks who maybe weren't handled the way they should have been handled to basically beg for forgiveness and another chance. So, you know, it's important to have service recovery as well because things, things go wrong. What I think is so refreshing too, Mike, was the way that you talked about patients, because I remember coming into healthcare using words like consumer and having CEOs particularly say, why are you using that word? They're patients. Or, or I remember submitting PowerPoints and this still happens from time to time. And Brian, you've had this experience where people say, you know, you're using these other words. They're really just patients. And yet, Mike, you've kind of flipped the script and said, well, listen, here's what patient means to wait. And I think that's been such an interesting approach you've taken at Trinity Health. So they're not employees, they're colleagues. They're not just waiting to be told what to do to earn a paycheck. We're empowering them. That's really what I heard from you. We're empowering them to improve the care experience for people who are consumers, they're patients, they're ultimately human beings who are going to be working throughout the Trinity Health system throughout their lives in that journey of care. So I absolutely love the refreshing nature of that. I want to go back to this concept of members of the family, of Together Health, and of that 2023 piece. Talk to me more about how you coordinate that across so many care sites. And one thing in particular, Mike, is you've got 6,800, as of now, 6,800 employed physicians. So they're a big piece of that puzzle on members and on Together Health and the entire piece. How does it look when you try to coordinate that all under that Trinity Health brand that you know so well? 
Well, when you're a you know large organization like ours, you know people like to talk about holding companies and operating companies as sort of different ends of the continuum. And I think we, you know, I believe that most of the best organizations in the country, whether they're healthcare or another industry, are a hybrid. They figure out how to leverage the skill, scale, and learning of being a large organization, but they also recognize that you're in communities and you need to have bench strength and understanding at the community level of how to connect with the people you serve. And, you know, I think the pandemic has been a, you know, amazing example of that because as you've seen through this whole year, you know, surges are happening in different markets, people's attitudes towards masking and social distancing, governors have all acted differently. And so, you know, unless we've got people who are connected at the ground level at each of those communities responding, uniquely doing partnerships, you know, locally that makes sense, you can't make it all work. So the Together Health strategic plan really focuses on an A, B, and C level, not by any means saying level C is the lowest. It's actually the most important. Level A is sort of how, what's our portfolio? How do we, what's our portfolio of services, of communities? How do we see that as a national system? The C level is the health ministry strategic plans and the strategies that they have. And we gave them some direction around, you know, what some of the dimensions of the plan ought to be, but they they developed their own plans. And then level B is our operating model. How do we connect that portfolio stuff and the stuff that we can leverage at a you know national level with what is needed at the local level? I think the fascinating part of the work that came out of our, our local plans were, was that the, the three top things that all of our communities said, you know, these are top of our priority list. First one was on the member experience. And are we providing digital tools? Are we connecting the care? What can we do in the way of service centers to, you know, if people don't use electronic communication, can we communicate to them person by person. How do we take that to the next level? The second thing that they asked for help on and our high priorities is creating a broader network. And when they say that it isn't just acquiring other hospitals, but it's how we build out our continuum of care within their communities and connect the pieces. And then the third biggest issue was how do we figure out ways to align and integrate with clinicians in a closer way and how do we expand especially in primary care and so those were really their three top you know needs priorities areas of focus that they're working on right now and so what we're doing is aligning our system resources to try to move that faster so i had mentioned to you earlier that you know we're we're rolling out epic across our organization when i came back to trinity Four years ago, you know, we were, you know, Heinz 57 variety of, of EMRs and portals. And, you know, at my previous role at SCL Health, we were on Epic across the board. And I could see the way we could connect the care as well as to connect to the consumer or the member. And coming back to Trinity, we were investing in some of these one-off platforms. And I said, you know, at the end of the trail, are we going to be any more 
member centered and the direction we're in now versus, you know, take changing course. And so that's why we made the decision to go Epic system wide. And it's a it's a big, massive rollout. In fact, just our rollout across our Michigan ministries alone was the only is was the biggest one day rollout that Epic had ever done. So they're a big company, but taking on, you know, that kind of scale at one time, you know, was was a massive effort for us. But we can, for example, already see in Michigan the improvements in connection to our customers, the connections between clinicians and the care continuum, really using the tool in a way that really takes care delivery to the next level. We have other markets where we had Epic and we're bringing it up on the common platform. But again, that's one way that a system can add value is to provide a common platform that's built on best demonstrated practices with the input of people across our ministries to to make it the best it can be. Yeah, certainly with the size of Trinity, it scale is remarkably important, right? If you're going to roll out anything enterprise-wide, uh, we've already talked about the size of the organization. It, it's a little bit, um, it, you know, look at it with a little bit of awe, all the different moving parts that, that you're managing daily and that your team is managing daily. Uh, I want to back up just a little bit to uh, a moment ago, you said member experience. And, you know, we already talked about those words, not, not hearing member use in that context uh, very frequently. And I think about the all the times that we've gone 12 rounds in the boardroom uh, on the use of the word patient or consumer, Ryan, Ryan already mentioned it, but that's a common thing and it's still sensitive, right? It, I mean, that that is still a touchy uh, subject on what you call the person that you're serving. And so member experience that you've probably, if you haven't, you know, trademarked that already, you, you probably should. It's, it's, it's a good one. Um, but, but thinking about, thinking about the member experience and in, in parallel to what you just described in terms of rolling out Epic across the enterprise, how, how do you roll out or sustain or teach a member experience that is on brand, it's on brand promise, it's, it's in full alignment with the mission, vision, values of the organization to 92 hospitals and, and you know, 125,000 colleagues and everybody that you serve. Yeah, I, obviously that's a big, big ship to, to you know, manage and, and, and navigate, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, so um, I'm a fan of the Patrick Lencioni books. I, I'm sure you've read some of them. And, you know, he talks about organizations um, spend all of their time on being smart strategies and products, but they don't spend enough time on being healthy. And when he describes healthy organizations, he talks about four dimensions at the, at its core, having an aligned leadership team that, you know, can have productive conversations around, you know, substantive issues, but walk out, you know, aligned on the, where the organization's going. The second dimension is, you know, to talk about, you know, what you stand for, what's your mission, who are your customers, what are we here for, you know, what are our priorities, and really establishing what he calls clarity around that. The third dimension is to reinforce clarity, because just because you say it once or twice, you know, we, as leaders, we think we get up and give a talk and people get it right away. And the reality is, unless you use the same words over and over again, and you come back to connecting the dots between your mission, your values, your vision, you know, your, your culture, your strategies, 
you know, people don't get it. And then the fourth dimension that he speaks to is reinforcing it through human systems. How do you reward? How do you recognize people? And so those, those principles have served me well thus far in my career in using them. They're really simple, but they're things that leadership doesn't spend a lot of time on. You know, coming back to Trinity, I learned, you know, that the leadership team never did regular, what I call leadership advances, where our senior team takes some offline time and says, how are we doing? How are we working together? What are we doing to sharpen the saw? Are we, are we, how are we communicating with our people rather than, you know, the typical task or project stuff that you discuss in your executive leadership sessions and build culture around that. I mean, have people share both personal and professional challenges and, and, you know, bear the soul a little bit, if you will. And we, we have to, we have to emulate that with our, with our colleagues. So we don't just do it ourselves. We have to emulate it with the people that we serve. And, the repetition is just so important. I mean, I do a video every two weeks to bring everybody across the organization up on, you know, what's happening, uh, where we're going. It was especially important during this whole COVID journey, but, it, you know, it's turned out to be a very valuable way to connect to colleagues across the ministry at a personal level. You know, sharing information with people on a regular basis. We have our own, you know, sort of Facebook company, Facebook. It's Microsoft's Yammer tool where, you know, we can communicate in two way with our colleagues. And, you know, if they raise a concern about something, we can, you know, address that right away. You know, during this pandemic, we really had to ramp up how we connect with all of our folks that are in a distributed workforce. We don't call it remote. We don't want to have a remote workforce. We want a distributed workforce that's connected. So we're we're very conscious about the words we use with our folks. So just, you know, I could go on and on, but it's just so important to keep the message out there and connect mission, vision, values, strategies. How are we doing? What can we improve? Um, and, and then recognize people for great stuff and great work. And then, you know, with our boards and with our leadership teams, I write a monthly CEO board report that is really not just limited to the boards. It goes to all of our leadership. They cascade the information in the report. Um, it really is a way to connect us. And the even our local boards who, you know, used to feel very disconnected, we it's a way to connect with them. We also do quarterly calls with all our, our board chairs and vice chairs of our of our communities to keep them connected because they're the voice of the community and they're the ones, you know, supporting our local leadership teams. So, you know, it, just so many ways that you have to stay connected on a regular basis with everyone and to listen. I mean, listening is really important. It's great to get up and give a presentation, but you know, way more of the time has to be spent on listening and responding. Mike, I love what you said about the presentation piece where, you know, you get a CEO and we won't name names, but we've all been in those rooms where a CEO says something and just expects it to be brought to life. When we know there was plenty of process, lots of energy, maybe some hand wringing behind the scenes for months or years to bring that situation about. And you guys have done such a good job of using every possible communication channel. I mean, you ran down the list there 
of all the tools that you use to not only state the message, but to reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. I love that about Together Health and the ABCs that you laid out because it's so easy in healthcare for us to fall into a trap where if it's a leadership change, new CEO comes in, has a certain nomenclature, certain style, but you're always putting substance behind the style. So obviously Together Health and the strategic plan you've done has been very thought through. Uh, There's been plenty of evidence that went into supporting it. But you mentioned one other thing, and that is this little thing called COVID-19. So uh, this is my first chance to talk to you during the pandemic. I want to know, for someone like you who's been so buttoned up and always had a plan, how did that change over the past year? And my second part of that is, are you still on track? Are there things that you think will have to be modified? I think every organization's wondering those things, right? When do we go back to business as usual? Do we go back to our leadership advancement? Everything was disrupted. And we're now at the point where we're trying to figure out how to put it all back together. Uh, And I think that's a challenge for a lot of people. So I'd be curious from your unique, valuable perspective, how has that changed over the past year and where it's going? So I've described this journey and I've write about it and I've talked with various groups internally and externally as thus far a five-act drama. So act one was the initial surge and the shutdowns and, you know, the trying to get enough PPE and didn't know how to care for patients, didn't know, have any effective therapies to help them. People were dying. You know, the stuff we went through in that first quarter, as we talked earlier, you know, $5 billion of our revenue evaporated overnight from the you know, outpatient and elective services, you know, concern about, you know, when, where, you know, where are we going to make up for this? So that first, that first act was a very painful one, but, you know, we, we spent a lot of time really focusing on safety as job one for our colleagues and for the people we serve. And so that's what that, that phase was all about. Act two was the summer of last year. When we saw the numbers starting to come down, we thought we were emerging from this whole thing. We called it the emergence plan. We developed a number of teams that were system-wide to really help us with, and they were very effective. We paired a CEO of one of our sites with one of our executives here and put together teams to focus on things like how do we create COVID-free zones for outpatients? How do we reconfigure our ambulatory sites? How did we ramp up all the, you know, video visits? How, you know, all those kind of things. And, you know, we were back to the racetrack or, or so we thought. Then the fall surge came, Act 3. And it was worse and more widespread than the first the first wave of, uh, of COVID. And, you know, the taxing of our staffs, we had more therapies by that point in time to help us a little bit, but, you know, the massiveness and the, and the impact virtually across all of our communities was much more massive. Act four has been the vaccination journey. And, you know, we have, we have worked really hard. I've worked really hard with AHA as well as with representatives in our state and, and federal government to make sure that healthcare providers have a meaningful role in vaccinating communities, especially those who are poor, disadvantaged, our communities of color who are, we are connected to. We, we've had limited success with the feds in redirecting 
some of the um, vaccination efforts to us. They've been more enamored with continuing to send to the states or to, you know, the the big pharma retailers. And I think that we're beginning to see some of the limitations of that now that we're going to have to revisit. So we're still in Act 4, okay? And then I've defined Act 5 as um, what are we going to look like when we emerge from this finally, all right? So the emergence we had last summer, I call that emergence 1.0. Now we're in emergence 2.0 planning. What are we going to look like? And we've raised questions for all of our people around that. You know, what's the patient member focus? I still use the word patient with people who haven't glanced on the members. So we use both, but we connect them. Okay. So what's that focus? How is it going to differentiate us? You know, how, what's the impact on our colleagues on recruitment, retention, morale, you know, dealing with the PTSD? How do we come out of that? and continue to support them. You know, what's our operating model gonna look like? You know, what what changes do we have to make in the operating model? You know, what elements are gonna be organic versus M&A growth? Are some things ever gonna come back? I mean, I don't think ED volumes are ever gonna come back the way they were in the past. And I don't think they've all been substituted for urgent care, by the way, or for by video care. So, you know, what's the care delivery needs of our communities going to look like? Um, what kind of competencies, new competencies do we need to have? You know, what are what responsibility are we going to have more responsibility for outcomes and total cost of care, which I believe is inevitable. And that's why we've been all in on every, you know, managed care initiative or, or uh, risk sharing initiative that's been available. I mean, we've come together with this whole list of questions that we're trying to address as we face the future. I don't have all the answers, but it is really causing us to think very hard about what we do look like and what we will look like, because I don't think it's going to be same old, same old. I mean, this is this is emergence in a different way. Yeah, the <clears throat> breaking it down in, in the five acts is, is helpful. I like that. Uh, Hopefully, there's no need for an emergence 3.0. You know, maybe the we get the 2.0 and that's it. But uh, so many health systems, every health system, learned a great deal about how to operate during the pandemic when when revenues, uh, as you know, as you mentioned, you know, some dollars just went away overnight, and and that forces health systems to make difficult decisions. And and those were made, and in in many ways, we're starting to see a rebound, just at least from the. Um, revenue standpoint. Some folks are coming back in for elective services, all that, all that kind of stuff. I'm curious about with an organization the size of Trinity, uh, we've been hearing stories about other organizations that are not as big as you that uh, found out a few things about themselves in terms of ways that they could create some efficiencies. So when, when sort of put against a fire, so to speak, that, that they found ways to um, streamline some processes to eliminate some redundancies to find ways to to operate more efficiently in a time when resources were so strapped. I, I'm curious if if you know if and what those things were for you. Absolutely, we've had to act differently. We're a smaller organization than we were then in terms of our staff levels through efficiencies. We combined a lot of our. It was, it was an opportunity for us to take all the onesie twosie practices that we had out there and combine them into more multi-specialty locations by way of example. It was an ability to get us 
onto some of the common platforms that we're using more quickly by way of example. And this, this concept that I talked to you about earlier with emergence teams, we're continuing the work with these teams. So we have a team now focused on, you know, what is, what's the culture look like? What is the desired, you know, customer focused culture that we need to instill across our whole ministry and, and reinforce we have a team focusing on taking safety and zero harm to the next level across our ministry right now because there's still a lot of opportunity there for and in for us safety is about safety for our colleagues as well as safety for the members and patients that we serve they've got to be connected so there's there's been a lot of learning about efficiencies and about how you can act faster and not admire the problem forever. So, you know, we we really have put a lot of time and focus into that and want to avoid regression, you know, to the old ways that we did things. But it means you have to be connected a lot more and a lot more frequently. I mean, even our executive leadership team, during the height of the pandemic, we were meeting seven days a week. Now we still meet three days a week. We were, you know, before that it was once a week. And it's really created a lot more connection around everything that we're doing from strategy to operations to our people because we're forcing ourselves to spend more time together on alignment and uh, and on, you know, execution. So it's been, it's been, I mean, there have been good things that have come from, you know, having necessity is the motherhood of invention, right? Right. And you mentioned connectivity a number of times. And I think that that likely is is the one thing that will prevent Trinity from any sort of regression as you know, a matter of fact, just the opposite of that. Right. You've created some realized some inefficiencies, uh, righted that ship, didn't admire the problem. I, I like that phrasing. And then and then have you know, progressed in, in really impressive fashion. I'm I'm curious, Ryan, you know, you have been participating and facilitating these um, CEO interview series. It's actually independent of the podcast. And I know that the, the line of questioning is somewhat similar to that in, in you know, how did, how did COVID impact and change your role? You know, what, what did you hear from, from a handful of, of CEOs that when they're saying, look, um, that this sort of came upon us, uh, we had to adjust accordingly. You know, what, what are some of those things that, that you heard that like really left an impact on you? Well, it's interesting. I, every time I ask that question, and really in a roundabout way, Mike already answered it here, but I, I think about how we've pressed pause on so many things. The reason we've been reaching out to CEOs and inviting a CEO like Mike onto our podcast is because in some ways we've lost touch. I mean, we suspended a lot of our conferences and events. There, you know, we're, Next week will be the first Governance Institute conference in person in over a year. And I used to remember walking those hallways and someone in the elevator or pulling a couple of people into a lunch and getting that perspective and checking in. And so it's been really difficult to do that. Meanwhile, at the organizations, what we've heard is there's been a hyper connectivity, as you described it, Mike, you know, seven days a week. And I think that that's so important because we're going to hit a point here where a lot of organizations are going to say, we're not ready for Emergence 2.0. We've been stuck in those first four acts and they've chewed us up and spit us out rightfully so, but we're not ready for that emergence 2.0. What I love about what you've said, Mike, and in some of the answers of the efficiencies is I always think about the consumer side of things. Um, so that whole idea of creating efficiencies, of merging and fusing, you know, physician opportunities when you have a chance or care operation sites, 
getting leaner because you had to, but also the effect of that on consumers, I think is interesting to study. So we put an exploratory question into our Market Insights Consumer Survey, National Consumer Survey. We put in a question about when you look at systems of care, which a lot of consumers don't even fully understand the concept. So we'll explain it. But when you put in systems of care, these different organizations, different groups working together, physicians, clinicians, all of these people doing research, urgent care, ER, the whole ball of wax. What do you want most from that system of care? The number one answer, as Mike knows, is coordination of that care. As a consumer, if I'm going to enter into the system, which in and of itself sounds big and intimidating, I want to make sure that it's coordinated around me. I want to make sure that it's seamless, that it, it provides me a path to care, the journey we talk about. And so it's interesting when I hear you talk about those efficiencies and think about the other side of the coin that a consumer out of this one silver lining might be that they might experience more efficient care. But talk to me a little bit more about that, Mike, because it's also in the brand promise that you talked about. One, I love a CEO who can remember their brand promise and say it with ease. You also in your brand promise have something easy for everyone to remember, your colleagues, us, everyone, to listen, to partner, to make it easy. Talk to me a little bit more about that side of the future of care. Will healthcare out of COVID become easier? Or I suppose the opposing opinion is we're going to try to claw back as much of this as we can, get people back in buildings because that's how we know how to get paid, so on and so forth. Give us a little bit of your um, perspective on that. Well, I, I wanted to first comment on your earlier one about people who have been so burned out by, you know, Act 4. The irony here is that our people are so anxious to move into Emergence 2.0, Act 5. I have to keep kind of holding them back a little bit because I'm worried about these surges that are happening right now and whether we're going to lose, you know, have to put things on hold again that we're we're pushing forward with right now. So, you know, the good news is our folks want to bust out of this and, and be different and do different and to live out that strategic plan. And that's what really inspires me about the organization. But, you know, you're, the bigger question you're asking is, are we, as a result of this, going to end up with more connected care? I don't think so. I think that's gonna, that work is going to be, it, it has been and will continue to be picking and shoveling and, you know, engaging people and, and putting systems together that point A talks to point B and helping people, you know, kind of step out of their bodies and view what's happening from the standpoint of the patient. And, you know, in your book, you had early on in a contrast of two encounters, the one fella having prostate surgery and the, you know, woman having uh, surgery uh, and how different they were. And, you know, we have found in areas, in some specialty areas and others have experienced as well, like with oncology services or whatever, we figured out years ago how to connect that care much better around that whole episode and journey that those patients follow or, or members follow. But when it comes to, you know, general primary care connection with people and connecting them to specialists and getting it back, we still have a lot of work to do. I think thing, tools like the EMR help a lot. I mean, even my primary care physician who, you know, it isn't because of who I am, 
I mean, I communicate with him more through, you know, the portal than I do in person. And, you know, I feel like we have a pretty good relationship because, you know, we can stay connected in that way. And I think they're finding that as well it, to be a very valuable tool. So we can, we, we have so much that we can do. And, you know, I heard, Brian, I heard you talking earlier about one of your encounters with, you know, then at the end of the trail is the billing mess. That is, that is a, a condition of our environment that we have some control over, but we don't have total control over in dealing with third party payers. But we are part of, we can be part of the solution at making that better when, when especially in, in dealing with, you know, helping people once an error happens with their bill in, in getting it fixed for them instead of them having to fend for themselves. So, you know, I could go on and on and on. I mean, I get the letters from patients that are positive and, and a lot of them that, you know, where they've had negative experiences. I follow through on every one of them with our, our people and close the loop with patients on them. So it keeps me connected, you know, to what's actually happening out there as well as observing. But we have, we have a long way to go. I don't think the pandemic alone, back to your question, is going to result in better connected care. I think there's so much work to do in that regard ahead of us that we've just got to, you know, put shoulder to wheel on it. I love the honesty of your answer on that, Mike, because I think a lot of people have uh, gotten ahead of themselves and thought, okay, you know, we've we've now got things in place that we can use, and there there's still going to be a lot of gravity of things returning, quote unquote, to normal that are going to bring us into some very established healthcare patterns. And it's going to be hard to, to pull ourselves out of that in a post-pandemic world. So I love it. I, I knew I'd get a very honest, to-the-point answer from you on that. The other thing that I want to key in on, I guess, when thinking about the, the size and the breadth of Trinity Health, is you've got a lot to measure. We've talked about the EMR. We've talked about some of the things you've been able to sync up across all those healthcare ministries. But it's interesting to think about all of the data, the mountain of data. I imagine your office, Mike, is just sitting on a giant mountain of data. And Brian, you've got a lot of experience with that through the years, through patient experience, consumerism, loyalty, trying to understand all of those pieces to the puzzle. You, too, have also been out talking to executives. You've even had some roundtables with people who are directly tasked with that yoke of measuring the patient experience in their organization. What, what have you heard about that, especially right now in the times of COVID and the challenge that is? Well, we definitely had to change the way that we listened because the way care was being received is different, sure. right? So if you, have, if you apply traditional ways of, say, send out a survey, you know, an HCAP survey after an inpatient visit, you know, those, those were really limited to just some certain circumstances. And, and there was a lot of COVID patients that were admitted to the hospital and all that. So and then elective surgeries were procedures were gone for a while. So you've got a huge part of the volume of a health system that isn't happening, right? That just isn't happening. So then, therefore, if you don't have other mechanisms to engage and listen, then you don't have any feedback coming in or very little. And so, I, I you know, back, back, I'll back up just a little bit here because um, you mentioned, you know, Mike sitting on a pile of data, of, of course. And I would say that you, like every other health system leader, is, is you don't lack for data. Uh, it's that becomes that common phrase, like we're data rich, but insight poor. And sure. so it's not, it's not necessarily having enough data. It's about how do we, how do we connect data in such a way? How do we, how do we build stories from the data? How do we make it intuitively uh, accessible and intuitive once it is accessed? 
right. so that people can be, you know, it, uh, Mike talked about having the colleagues be empowered to make a change, right? And mm-hmm. I, that, that's, that's remarkably important. Knowing that you're empowered to make a change is, is one thing. Um, being empowered to make a change based off of very recent, reliable data and insight is, is, is another thing yet, right? That, that even makes that more meaningful, more powerful. So I think, you know, COVID just shone a light on a whole bunch of things, a whole bunch of potential deficiencies in, in what we do. And, and local to this conversation, patient feedback or, or member experience, patient experience, customer experience, um, it, it you know, it showed a, showed a whole bunch of things to us. It showed that showed that fear was on the rise. It showed that mm-hmm. folks were gonna gonna sort of wait it out. They're gonna defer care for a while, uh, even when procedures started happening again. Um, and, and so those are it's those data now that that leaders can pull together and start saying, look, all right, we need to address the underpinning emotion. Um, we need to talk about how we can deliver care in in, in omni-channel ways. How can we provide experiences and you know both vit, both uh, virtual and um, in, in physical sense and have both of those be totally on brand. Right. Yeah. And so that's uh, obviously a lot of moving stuff, but, but one of the ways in which you can consistently tune and make sure that you're doing it right is by um, member or customer experience uh, feedback and data collection. Exactly. Right. So I think it's, it becomes now it not, now that gets put back on partners like us, like, like NRC sure. health and, and others to, to make sense of all this data because you're um, you're doing literally probably the world's most important work. Uh, healthcare providers are, yeah. and so then then that's when it's important to lean on partners like NRC to to make sense of the data, collect the feedback, and give it back in such a way that it's intuitive, that it's story like, and you can you can demonstrate a deep understanding of that person you're serving. That's precisely right, and I think it's so interesting too. You know, Mike, we've talked a lot about data over the years and all the collection of data. Tell us a little bit more because, you know, if if your office is on a mountain of data, I don't even know what the dashboard looks like. So from your perspective, I think it'd be so interesting to hear because I talk to people at every level of the organization, whether you're at the manager level, whether you're below that, above that, even VPs who struggle with the big data movement. We, I think similar to HCAPS, we thought big data would bring in all the insights we need. I will actually go a step further, Brian, because you'd mentioned, you know, We've got a lot of data as an advantage. I think sometimes healthcare has so much data, it's a disadvantage because there's data management that has to take place to even sift through and find some of the insights. I can't fathom how much of a challenge that is with the size of Trinity Health. Mike, what advice do you have? What efforts do you do to try to get that data down into a manageable format? Well, the first thing you know I talked about earlier is you need to be on common platforms. So whether it's your EMR or your ERP or whatever, for an organization like us to be able to get common platforms in place, and that includes the ways we get feedback from customers. So, you know, I mean, our primary care offices are, you know, really for many patients, the first entry point to a relationship with our system. And so we're doing mystery shopping regularly of those offices. We've actually now, uh, because of our focus on, you know, eliminating racism and dealing with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, we actually are making calls to offices using names and things that would be more ethnically diverse to see whether we're getting a different reaction or behavior from staff than we are for Caucasians. Um, and so far, so good. We haven't seen a lot of differentiation, but we're, mm. we're looking for that. You know, we're looking to see if we 
you know, have, you know, conscious or unconscious bias in how we're providing access to people. You know, Ryan, we've talked to you and NRC about some of the real-time tools. We haven't implemented those yet, but we're, we're going to this year. We've, you know, decided that, you know, H caps and CG caps are like Bowie knives and bearskin and measurement. They just don't get you the kind of feedback that you need from customers to uh, to really be effective at real-time changes in, in the things that you do in the environment. I think the broader question on data, though, that you're asking, um, every year we put together a balanced scorecard with measures that we want to move further and faster for that year. And it's it's across the, the you know, the balanced scorecard, quality, safety, the care experience, you know, growth, a colleague engagement, financial stewardship, and community health and well-being initiatives that we focused on. We now have some on d- diversity, equity, and inclusion that we've put on our scorecard. And we measure that not only at the system level, but we have a breakdown by community. And we share the whole scorecard with everyone so they can see who's performing the best. And it really provides an opportunity for people to learn from one another because they're competitive. They want to be the best and they learn from others. So we try to simplify it down to a set of measures that we're consistently looking at every month instead of, you know, diving deep in one area or another. I mean, we'll do that if we're working on a specific project, but when we're talking to our audiences at large, and I share the scorecard on my videos every month. So I go through them with our colleagues and give them an interpretation of, of what we're seeing and what we've got to work on. So that, you know, you just, it's complexity organizations like ours. You know, everybody says we're a complex organization. Okay, that may be true, but that should not be an aspiration. Okay, complexity should not be an aspiration. We got to figure out a way to simplify things for people and talk in simple language, can make connections that are simple and real, you know, and back to make it easy. You know, the, the only, you're not going to make it easy if it's too complex. I don't know if I, I answered so your question adequately, but, you know, data is in, in getting the information you need to effectuate change is incredibly important. The way you put it made so much sense. And I think, you know, complexity is clearly not on your scorecard, but I love that you have a manageable shortlist that you reinforce all the time among leadership and all colleagues across all care sites um, of the metrics that you've deemed important. I think sometimes the challenge is we just sort of keep throwing metrics and metrics and metrics. And all of a sudden this spreadsheet, you know, has, you know, so many rows, it looks like a Christmas tree when it's all lit up and green, red, and yellow. And that's not manageable. And that's certainly not a feather in the cap. And so you've done it and put it in a very manageable position. So from the consumer side of things, where we always try to zoom out and see the community impact and the people in those communities, you've already talked about it a little bit with folks who are marginalized and making sure that we include them, especially in Emergence 2.0. Brian, you alluded to this earlier on people putting off care. We know in our numbers, starting with the Great Recession, there was about a quarter of this country that was putting off some form of care. Now, that got better over the years as the economy slowly improved. Well, in 2019, it was about one-fifth of consumers were putting off some form of necessary care. In 2020, it won't shock you that that jumped to almost a third. So well over a 10 percentage point increase, and it wasn't great to start with. We've got a lot of people in this country who are opting out of health care. 
eventually our hope, of course, is to re-engage them and to engage them in new meaningful ways to drive that number down even lower than pre-COVID levels. Talk to me a little bit about that, Mike, because you had such a great answer earlier about not just being an operating company or a holding company, but being both and getting into the community. Have you seen that firsthand, people putting off care and being afraid to return? And do you have any ideas, any inspiration for organizations that are looking to reconnect with those individuals and bring them back in for the healthcare they need? Well, we're definitely reaching out to our patients on a regular basis about, you know, the ability to provide safe care and not put off care for chronic conditions. So we're doing a lot of proactive communication with them, email, ads, whatever, that, you know, any way we can connect with them. We're doing a lot of that work as well. Uh, You know, I think a lot of our work right now has been on vaccine hesitancy because, you know, we need to get people feeling, you know, like they can, you know, withstand this pandemic and, and especially in our, in our communities of color. So for example, you know, we spend about 1.3 billion a year on community health and well-being initiatives. And while some of that is things like the loss on Medicaid, we, we've got conscious investments that we're making in supporting, you know, food programs or housing programs or whatever, we we allocated last month a million and a half dollars to partner with agencies in our communities of color to create vehicles to get people vaccinated, to reach out to people and create a safe environment for, for vaccination. So that, that's one example of a way that you get out there and you you know, you talk to people, you understand their fears, you understand their hesitancy. You know, we continue to promote this idea of COVID-free zones that, you know, we've created a safe environment for them to come back for care. And I think we've done that very well. So, you know, it's all those things. Um, but also, you know, for people who don't want to come in, at least connect with your caregiver through the portal, you know, and, and you know, check in. So we, we're doing a lot of reach outs from, you know, our primary care practices as well. Yeah, I think it'll be so important to continue all these different ways, every channel of communication that you have, right? Uh, engaging with as many parts of, of the community uh, as possible in the way that they want to be communicated with. Uh, obviously, we, we can help support um, informing those strategies in, in some ways. So, Mike, you've got a giant health system to run. Uh, we can't keep you forever. We, we would like to talk to you for, you know, for another hour or so, but uh, as we, as we're wrapping up our time here, I've got a, I have a very important question. Um, one that's been burning on the minds of both Ryan and I, it's a bit of a sure. bit of a left turn from our, from our recent discussion, but we, we recently sat down and had a, had a talk with Dr. Stephen Clasco, CEO of Jefferson health, you know, large health system out in, in Pennsylvania. And he, is passionate about music. Matter of fact, um, you know, he was a DJ before he got into healthcare, and 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 I think he he would admit that if he was a better DJ or, or you know hadn't been let go from that job, he he might be a very world famous DJ right now. Um, and, and we have come to understand too that you're a musician and uh, uh, play the guitar. So we were thinking, is there something in the is there something in the visionary leader brain that that correlates with music and, and you know, what, what are your thoughts on, thoughts on that? 
Well, I think you have to use your right brain and your left brain to be, you know, to be, to sharpen the saw. So I, I don't know what the connection would be. I can tell you, for me, you know, music is almost a form of of, of therapy, you know, and you know, I can I can get lost just playing something, you know, on my own. I'd rather play with other people. That's been missing this year. So that's that's something that I dearly miss. I think, you know, my experience in playing in bands, which has been my favorite part of music, is that everyone comes with a gift and you really have to figure out how to use the unique gifts each player has and you don't have any positional authority. So I think as a CEO, you know, the band I was in in Denver, our lead guitar player sang like a bird. He was a former musician. He could play the guitar. He could play keyboards. He had perfect pitch. I was not coming into that band like the leader of the band, okay? That wasn't my role in that band. And But I really respected what he brought to the band as well as the other players. And I had my little role in making making it work. So I think, you know, that that music to me has not only been the individual joy, but also the joy of doing it with others and learning, you know, how to really be part of a team. And and I'm constantly bringing that back to what you have to do as a leader. And it's not about positional authority. So that's what I would say. But besides that, I just love, besides playing, I collect. I'm probably a better guitar collector than a player, to be honest. And, uh, and I have a bunch of vintage guitars and vintage amplifiers, and I've written articles about them, and I'm a co-owner of a website on Gibson Les Pauls, and, you know, I'll never be able to retire on that website uh, income, but it's just a, a place to meet people and, and connect. So that's what it's about for me. Well, I may or may not have had the pleasure of of seeing Mike's musical performance live and in person uh, when you succeeded Rick Gilfillan as the CEO of Trinity Health and played him a version of Heart of Gold uh, by Neil Young that I just greatly appreciated. And also for any other CEOs listening, it was a fantastic way to officially introduce yourself as a CEO because it really peeled back the curtain and people got to understand you as a person. Uh, which we've had the pleasure of doing and, and about hearing about today. So last question, uh, and it is on a personal level. So imagine this, Mike, you've been through a lot and you've been through many different experiences that you shared with us. Someone is coming in right now as a healthcare CEO, first day on the job. They don't have the experience you have. They are not good at guitar. And they are trying to figure out how to lead a health system in these incredibly turbulent times. What is just one piece of advice? You don't have to give us too much, although, again, we'd sit and listen for hours. But what is one piece of advice you would give that person who's just now slipping into the CEO shoes? Well, first, I would emphasize that I think this is the most exciting time in healthcare to be in healthcare because of the opportunity for transformation. So I'd start with that. I think my advice to the person is the advice I give everyone who joins us. Take advantage of your beginner's mind. You know, look at this through the lens of a beginner and don't, you know, don't go native too quickly in the organization, you know, and 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 again, you know, just this whole idea of keeping the member, the customer, 
in mind, what would they say about this? You know, you've, you often shared the metaphor, and I've always used it in our meetings, about what would the person in that empty chair say about what we just discussed in this meeting? I mean, I use that all the time with us because we begin to learn that we are so internally focused around what we are that we forget, you know, who that is. Catholic healthcare for me, you know, has been really different because uh, it, you know, it really is focused on the most personal of human services, body, mind, and spirit. And connecting to a higher purpose, people who are in healthcare connect to a higher purpose. That inspires them. They didn't decide to care for people, you know, uh, just, you know, off the cuff. I mean, they, they have an innate desire for uh, living out that higher purpose. And I think you need to just keep calling on, you know, what inspires people uh, to do the very best they can at, at serving others and the common good. So those are the things we emphasize. And, um, and I would say to anyone, you know, sitting in the chair now, boy, this is the time to really begin, begin to rethink emergence. What, is, what can emergence look like? And, and how can we really make a difference for the people and communities we serve and our colleagues? The other thing is listen to your colleagues. I mean, listen, listen, listen. We even, uh, this past year and a, two years now, we uh, implemented a thing called Standout. It's a tool that Marcus Buckingham created and it's it weekly you know we check in so the people that report to me check in online you know what what did i love this week what did i loathe this week what are what have been some of my priorities what what do i need from my leader and we have found for all of our people that even if even if you don't write anything other than thanks for the check-in engagement goes up it goes up dramatically so just think about the people, and I try to do it as well. I try to actually, you know, make a comment in there about something that I can help them with or respond to. And that that is a supplement to, obviously, the verbal and being in meetings together with people or one-on-ones. But we've launched that across our ministry. And I can tell you in our, in our engagement, we do quarterly pulse surveys with our colleagues. The engagement goes up. And, and so they're the ones, you know, back to what I said earlier today when we started, my vision is 130,000 people improving the care experience every day without waiting to be asked or having to be told. And, and if we stay on that quest, we're going we're gonna to come out different at the end of the day. So I, I answered way more than you were asking for. You were asking for one thing, but I just I had to share some of those thoughts with you. Because I'm passionate about it. I th- I'm glad you did. We are very glad you did. I think every new CEO, anyone in healthcare could benefit uh, from that elevator ride with you, Mike. And it's just been a pleasure. I've taken notes. I've learned so many things. And I've known you for a long time. I think our listeners and viewers will really benefit from this. And remember, this is a man who remembers patient stories, reads books that he sent, and responds to letters and emails systematically that he gets. And I just think you're so... You are so in tune with what healthcare needs right now and what it absolutely needs in the future. And it gives us hope. So we thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. Well, I learned from you too. So it's about continuous learning. You know, that's, that's the key. Every day is a learning opportunity.
So thanks Absolutely. to both of you. Absolutely. Thanks gonna, so much, Mike. We're going to keep learning with you, Mike. This is the end, and we look forward to the next conversation. So thank you for joining us today. All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks.